0: Why is it so difficult, if not seemingly impossible, to form and maintain healthy, loving relationships, both within the family and within society? Why is there so much violence in the world? Why are there wars? Why is there so much inhumanity, by humanity, towards humanity? It's really quite insane. We all feel it. We all experience it at some level, to some level, at some point in our life. And it's a serious question. Someone has said that the thing we long for the most is a meaningful bond with another human being. And the thing that we appear to be able to do the least is form a meaningful bond with another human being. There's all kinds of patterns at work. There's all kinds of seemingly universal conditions that produce universal patterns that inhibit, even prohibit, connection with others. We want it. We long for it. But something's not right. Something's not right within us. Something's not right within others. Something is in control that keeps us from being able to thrive and flourish in our relationships. Well, in this series, this brief series, I'm introducing you to the reality of the human trilemma. Meaning that... This question that I've just posed to you as to why it is so difficult to form and maintain healthy, loving relationships is not just a dilemma. It isn't just about psychology. It's about our spiritual condition. So it's our spiritual condition that produces the mental defects, that produce the relational issues. So it's, it's, it's a trilemma. And so psychologists can help under, us understand what the patterns are. Philosophy can help give us an overview But only the gospel of Jesus Christ can provide us with the remedy. Now, you may say, well, I'm a Christian, and I too am having serious difficulty forming and maintaining relationships with my family, even with my spouse. I've had problems and conflicts with my children, especially my adolescent children. I have problems in the workplace. I don't know that I can trust my friends Now There are exceptions God's mercy And God's common grace Does extend throughout all the Unbelieving world But it has been often thought that if you could If you had one dear friend throughout your Lifetime you've accomplished something Isn't that sad Instead of thriving within our relationship community, we feel blessed if we're able to find one good, true friend in our lifetime. So it's our spiritual condition that's the problem. And for that, we must look to the gospel. We must look to the revelation of God in Christ for the remedy. So, what I want to talk to you about today, then, is a the continued look at Ephesians chapter 2, in which we begin by considering this incredible diagnosis that Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, of the human condition. We need not look any further than these first three verses to understand why it is that it is seemingly so impossible To form and maintain loving relationships. Let's look at those verses just by way of brief review, and then today we're going to look at verses four through ten, and we're going to look at the nature of the gospel, the basis of the gospel, the character of God, the character of our Triune God, and how that affects our ability to form and maintain relationships. So let's just, by review, look at verses 1 through 3. Last time I told you that the, that the problem with humanity began, of course, in the Garden Fall. Adam and Eve were created perfect. Perfect images of God into creation. In perfect harmony with one another. Marriage was designed and created within the the garden. It was meant to be a blissful state. But the serpent entered in. Eve believed the serpent rather than the word of God that came through Adam. And then Adam listened to the voice of his wife over the word of God. And already things were getting mixed up. They trespassed. They violated God's boundary. They violated God's limits on them and took it upon themselves to decide for themselves what was good and what was evil. And human nature shifted. Something amazing happened in a negative way. Something significant changed within human nature, and it was permanent. Sin entered the world, and death through sin. And there was this pattern that shifted too, so that Eve's desire was for her husband, but it wasn't about worthy desire. It was a desire to make him subservient to her. Eve's desire was to make Adam subservient to her interests. And Adam sought to rule over her. In other words, it was a recipe for conflict. And that same word desire shows up in Genesis, excuse me, Genesis 4. Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel, where Cain's offering was rejected while Abel's was accepted by God. Cain was not happy about that. God told him. That sin was waiting, desired for him, and that he must rule over it. The same word that was used about Eve and her desire for Adam was used with Cain and and sin's desire for him. But instead of ruling over it, Cain gave himself over to it invited his brother out for a walk, and while they were out walking, killed his brother. So the whole family system broke down. So that by Genesis 6, humanity had become a place that was so rampant with wickedness, so evil, that the thoughts of their hearts were continually only evil. And God regretted having created humanity. Talk about a breakdown. And yet, Noah found grace in the eyes of Yahweh. And that's the story of redemption. The fall, the promise of a remedy, and God's continual intervention in the preservation of humanity until there could be a Redeemer. Until the Redeemer would come And the good news for you today is that it is possible now through the gospel to develop and maintain long-term meaningful relationships, fellowship with your spouse, with your children, with friends, genuine koinonia fellowship within the church. Fellowship in a community that reflects the beauty and the glory of the wonder of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relationships that are modeled a community that is modeled after the indissoluble union of the Trinity, the members of the Trinity, indissoluble union with um, that made that preserves the distinction of the individual roles in persons, dignity. So it is possible now. That's the good news that I'm bringing to you today. It is possible through the gospel. If you read through the entire letter to the Ephesians, you will see that the theme here is that Paul speaks of the ability now, the imperative of loving one another, caring for one another, how we speak to one another. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, for example, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself over for us, an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. What a beautiful thing. We have the ability to form and maintain healthy, loving relationships recovered for us in the gospel. Now, you may say, well, I'm a Christian. I, I, I love the Lord. I, I've come through the waters of baptism. I'm part of the church. And I'm still having a real difficulty forming and maintaining healthy relationships. I still suffer from relational pain, chaos, pain, misery even. well I hear you it's 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 a problem it doesn't it's not a light switch, but we have hope when we come through the waters of baptism, we begin a journey, a rehabituation away from the ways of the world, away from Adam and into Christ. so stick with me we're going to look at 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 how we, the first thing we have to understand is do we possess the gospel? I'm aware. starkly aware. I'm a counselor. I'm very aware of how Christians suffer in their relationships. And the primary reason that Christians suffer in their relationships is because they have yet to understand the gospel or they're believing some kind of counterfeit gospel. Or worse yet, they're not Christians at all. All those things have to be considered. We have to put all the cards on the table. Am I even a Christian? What is my view of God? These are the things we're going to be looking at. So the first thing we have to consider is, and just pause, and consider, do I have a right view, a proper view of the Gospel? So, Having considered Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and the diagnosis there of the human condition, let's begin now in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 10 today, as we continue this brief study of how the gospel, through the gospel, we recover our ability to form healthy, loving relationships. So let's begin with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. We have these two... Two of the most beautiful words in the New Testament. But God. Remember Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. This incredible sobering diagnosis of the human condition. And then in verse 4, but God. God has intervened. Well, what has God done? Well, first of all, we learned that He is rich in mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. Let's pause there for a moment. If you're going to understand the whole counsel of God, you have to understand that we serve and we are in fellowship with a holy God And just God. God is holy. He is just, and His wrath is towards sin. God's stance towards sin is never is never changing. He is always angry and wrathful towards sin. His holiness and His justness will not allow Him to abide sin in the in His universe, in His creation in you, and yet, in his holiness, in his justice, he also forbears. He also forbears and extends to us mercy, the richness of his mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Consider the adjectives here rich in mercy, his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, what does that tell us except that we did not merit this mercy? We did not merit whatsoever this great rich love that God has shown us, this forbearance. What a time when we were deserving only the just holy wrath of a righteous God in whose presence sin cannot stand. That same God exercised forbearance toward us, extended mercy toward us, and even great love toward us. And both of those things exist within the character of God. His hatred for sin... In his mercy towards you. So often, churches or preachers will go to one extreme or the other, as if the wrath of God is their favorite virtue of God, favorite character trait of God. And all you hear about is the wrath of God. Or you get over to the other extreme, where God's just a big teddy bear in the sky, who just loves you, loves you, loves you, It's all sentimentality, all warm fuzzies. But those neither one of those are accurate characters representations of God. And what we have here in Ephesians chapter two is this glorious, wondrous reality. That the God who is holy and just and righteously hates sin yet extends forbearance towards you and brings to you mercy. He relates to you. Do you realize that God relates to you on the basis of mercy? Do you realize that despite being dead in trespasses, that God has extended his great love for you towards you? His great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. We could not evoke it, we could not earn it, we could not merit it. There was nothing in us, nothing that warranted anything. The only thing we warranted was wrath. Remember, verse 3, we were by nature children of wrath. Why is this important? It's absolutely essential for you to understand this paradigm of God's character if you are going to be a person who extends to those who are unworthy of it, who do not merit it in your eyes, the same mercy, the same kindness, and the same love that God has shown you. If you do not understand the basis upon which you are in fellowship with your heavenly Father, you are not going to extend that same basis to others. Many people today have a very probationary view of their relationship with God. And that's because they bought a false gospel. They believe that they are in Christ because of something they did. And they believe that they can fall out of being in Christ and even yet go to hell because of something they do. So Christ's death was something that made salvation possible, but it didn't secure anything. Christ's death and resurrection made salvation possible, but in the final analysis, it's up to them. That's a false gospel. Do you realize that the gospel that Paul's preaching here in Ephesians chapter 2 was unpopular? It was an unpopular minority view even. Not among the apostles. But over a growing sector within the Christian community. Both among Jews and Greeks. There were Christian leaders who were rising up who were saying, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, he made the atonement. Yes, he rose from the dead. We believe all of that. We believe the Holy Spirit has come and this Holy Spirit has come to enable us either through the law or through Greek philosophy and wisdom to accrue the necessary righteousness by which we can commend ourselves towards God on that final day. You see, it was it, it it sounded good. They used Christian symbols. They used Christian terminologies. These false teachers used. Um, uh, they referred to themselves as apostles, servants of Christ. But they were preaching a probationary gospel. They were preaching a gospel in which God had made it possible for them. Even enabling them, grace was an enabling force by which we are able to accrue the necessary righteousness by means of the law or philosophy or wisdom so that we could make ourselves righteous enough to be accepted by God on that final day. Now, the Judaizers took it a step further. You had to become a Jew. You had to be circumcised. You had to be part of... Part, officially part of the Jewish race. The Greeks rejected that. They, they worked over in time to try to create, uh, turn Christianity into a, a wisdom religion. So you had these alternative Gospels floating around, and I'm telling you, they're with us still today. Anybody that tells you that somehow, yes, you need grace, yes, you need faith, you must believe in Jesus, you must believe in his death and resurrection, but in the final analysis, you have to add your part to it, and between God's part and your part, between the two of you, you get yourself saved. That's, <laughs> Folks, that is far more common preaching than you would think today. I was watching a program not long ago called The Anabaptist Perspectives. It's on YouTube. You can find it Anabaptist Perspectives, where a man was gleefully telling his interviewer how wonderful it was that he had figured it out that salvation is a two part process. God does his part, we do our part, and between the two of us, salvation occurs. It's palatable, it's saleable. Sal- sal- Another man on that same network was talking about how that the, the gospel is such that um, you can't really understand the Bible. So you what you do is you rely on the 2nd century church fathers to interpret the Bible for you. And you understand salvation like they understand it. But the second, by the 2nd century, many of the church fathers had adopted a view of grace, as I just described earlier. They had fallen away from the gospel by the 2nd century. Now, that shouldn't surprise us because there were times, there were those even during the days of the apostles who were teaching a false gospel. So to say, well, the 2nd century apostles, those who were closest, uh, excuse me, the apostolic church fathers who were closest to the apostles, they knew what was going on. No, they didn't. Many of them had fallen away and were already preaching a works-basis type of righteousness. Now, it was works that were enabled by grace. See, that's how subtle it is. So what I'm emphasizing to you today is that if you're going to form loving, healthy, and long-term, satisfying relationships... Within your family, within the community, within society, you are going to have to first stop and make sure you understand and that you possess the gospel of Christ, and not some twisted perversion of it, which is so prevalent. Paul's gospel that he's preaching here in Ephesians is the unpopular gospel of his day. Isn't that fascinating? Just like Jesus' preaching was unpopular. It was popular among the common people, but once the leaders got a hold of them, they even turned on him. Listen, they didn't crucify our Lord because he was preaching a popular gospel. The crowds didn't cry, crucify him, crucify him, because he was preaching something that they liked. The whole religious structure of Jerusalem didn't turn against our Lord because He was preaching something that they uh, received. And the same continued with the apostles. Read the book of Acts. Persecution after persecution after persecution. They they could not let go of it. They could not let go of it. That that somehow they insisted that they must earn. They must have some participation whereby they accrue the necessary righteousness to commend themselves to God. And if the apostolic, excuse me, the apostolic message of Paul, if the apostles had not stood strong, we'd have lost the gospel. But they did stand strong. The Spirit of God was with them, empowering them. And we have the gospel in the New Testament. And we read it contextually, we read it thoroughly, we read it prayerfully, and we can understand the glory of this gospel that Paul is giving us here. But God. See, it's a gospel of divine accomplishment, not human achievement. But God For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So you only have two approaches to the Gospels, folks. One of divine achievement or one that affords you the ability to boast. And Paul's gospel is clearly that which will not allow for our boasting because it is the divine accomplishment in Christ. Over and over again he says it here. But again, Paul is preaching this gospel against the backdrop of the many who rejected his message. They rejected Peter, they rejected rejected James, they rejected John. All the apostles, with the exception of John, died a martyr's death. Let me put it this way. The people in the first century rejected the gospel for another gospel. And they rejected the gospel, not because it was hard. You would think that they would have rejected the gospel because it was hard. No, they rejected the gospel because it was gracious. They rejected the gospel because it wasn't hard enough. They rejected the gospel uh, of the apostles for the simple reason that it didn't allow for them any room to boast. And then verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, there you have two different types of works. Works that are self generated, self empowered, autonomous works of piety and duty and religiosity that allow us the ability to boast. I mean, I, I've heard people say it, I've been a Christian now for 45 years. I've heard people say, well, I'm in Christ because I chose Jesus. I chose to believe in Jesus. Well, I I received Christ by an act of my own free will. See, there's all these perverted versions of the gospel out there. Fallen human nature will not allow God to be God. Fallen human nature will pretend to accept the gospel, but it's got to be a gospel that allows me to boast. But the good news for you today is of God's divine accomplishment on your behalf in His Son, which is complete, permanent, unconditional. You are in Christ because of God's doing, not yours. Yes, you received Him. Yes. You acted in faith. But even that faith is a gift. We just read that, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Even the faith that you exercised in Christ was a consequence of a prior work of God upon your mind and will. Regeneration precedes faith. Write those three words down. <laughs> regeneration precedes faith and you get that right order it's like a ship leaving port if you get on that right course you'll be fine but if you get that reversed and you start thinking that faith your faith is something that you contributed and therefore forced the hand of the Holy Spirit to cause you to be born again that the Holy Spirit responded to you then you're off on the wrong course Now, why am I saying all this? Why am I being so emphatic about these things? It's because you have to understand the character, the gracious character of God towards you if you are going to be able to be gracious towards others. We can have healthy, loving relationships virtually with everyone. Now, we can't force anyone to have a healthy relationship loving relationship response to us. We would love that, and you will find that. But you can virtually be in that same God-like stance towards everyone. And when you understand the heart, when your heart swells with the glory and the wonder, and your mind is elevated to the wonder of a holy and just God who ever hates sin, With a holy wrath and yet showed you forbearance and brought you into the richness of his mercy and the greatness of his love whereby he reunited you with his son and raised you up from spiritual death and seated you at the right hand with Christ, at his right hand with Christ so you have this glorious inheritance, you have this glorious future, a certain future. Your future resurrection on that final day into eternal life is guaranteed, not on the basis of things you do between now and then, but on the basis of the fact that Christ has risen from the dead. So let me close with this thought, you have to have that clarity of the gospel as the basis by which you relate to others. So there's works of autonomous works, self-generated works, and then in verse 10 we've just read, for we are His workmanship. We realize that God is at work in our hearts. There is a role for works in the Christian life, but they aren't self-generated. They aren't self-empowered works, and they're not meritorious. They are the works that result of the fact that God is at work in you. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Works of love versus works of merit. Let me say that again. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, not works of merit. But works of love that God himself produces in your heart, in your character, so that you can do good works. That's why I refer you back to Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love. As Christ also loved us and given himself for us, see, there's the paradigm. It's the mercy and kindness of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, extended to us, that becomes the basis by which we extend ourselves to others. Now, next time we're together, we will look more closely at these works of love. We'll look more closely throughout the letter to the Ephesians and see how it is that these works of love, having received this credible gift of salvation— Saved from the wrath of God. Saved toward the love of God. And how that works out in very practical ways in, the, in our most intimate relationships. And how that we have been given the blessing, the promise of being able to form loving, healthy, meaningful relationships. That flow out of our reconciliation with the Father through the Son, by the Spirit. Spirit Spirit-generated works of love that become the basis by which we form relationships. Next time, we'll look closer at all of that. May the Lord give you His grace and mercy. May He keep you in His kindness. May you learn to love and rejoice in His great mercy His kindness and His greatness of His love towards you. Amen.